The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, is uh, for this first half hour, is David Forrest. He's the Chief Market Strategist for Scarcity and Real Wealth, and also the Junior Resource Advisor. Welcome to the show, David. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, how you got to uh, uh, be the editor of these newsletters. Yeah, I'm, I'm a geologist by training, so spent a lot of time, you know, in uh, in the wilderness, uh, both in the oil and gas and mining industries. You know, traveling to places like Russia, Madagascar, China, all over the world, and you know, got interested in the investment side of the business. Started putting together projects, putting together companies, funding, and uh, then met the folks at the Street Authority, and we've started up a, uh, a letter to pass on some of that investment advice with uh, boots on the ground uh, research. So tell me the difference between the two newsletters that you do, uh, Scarcity and Real Wealth and Junior Resource Advisor. Tell me kind of what's different about each of the two of them. Yeah, Scarcity and Real Wealth is focused on the bigger names in the sector, in the oil and gas and mining and, and wider sectors. You know, we've done things like pulp and paper, renewables, all of those sorts of things. Basically, it's related to things that you can dig up or grow out of the ground that it's in there. These would tend to be the larger, more conservative, shall we say, companies, whereas Junior Resource Advisor is our premium product and deals with faster-moving opportunities, smaller companies, companies that require more specialized knowledge. And, and that's where a lot of the time that I spend traveling to these places and meeting with the management teams, seeing the projects on the ground comes into that publication. Okay. And while we're at it, uh, tell people how they can uh, find out further about both of these newsletters. Yeah, both, both can be seen. You can uh, find more information and sign up for the letters at streetauthority.com. Very good. All right, let's kind of take a broad view of the economy as it's affecting the kind of companies uh, you're looking at, resource companies and so on. Uh, I mean, some would say uh, we're in a deflationary environment. The uh, price of gold has come down from 1900 to 1300 A lot of uh, mineral prices have been falling. Uh, this is, would not be a particularly good time to be investing in the mineral sector. What would you say to something like that? I think this is the perfect time to be investing, you know, and, and the argument Right, these days that's often used against investing in the commodity sector is that commodities are cyclical. Everybody says, ah, oh, this is a good way to lose your shirt. You know, you're going to get burned. These things always go down. And, you know, it's true. I mean, when we look at commodities throughout hundreds of years, they are very reliably cyclical. And my response to that is if they are reliably cyclical, then buying at the bottom is a perfect investment strategy because they can be relied on to go up. And so uh, what, give us some of the main factors uh, that go into the cyclicality. What, what makes them go up and what makes them go down? Basically, supply and demand. I mean, when you get a period of sustained higher prices, that attracts a lot of very smart, very uh, in, you know, ingenious people to the sector who set their mind to finding more of whatever it is, be it gold, be it oil, be it natural gas has been a big story in the U.S. We've had a lot of 
uh, smart people and technology brought to bear on that sector, and it's resulted in a lot of production. And so you get a lot of production coming onto the market. That has a dampening effect on prices. As prices dampen, those people go off, they do other things, production lags, and eventually it gets to the point where prices have to go up in order to get them back into the market, finding more of the stuff. So where are we in that cycle now? And John, we'll get to some specifics, but we're generally in that cycle of prices going up versus prices going down. Yeah, we were seeing a bit of a divergence depending on where you're looking. So if you're looking in the mineral sector, we're definitely on the downside. If you look at most of the metals, uh, aside from copper, really is the only notable exception. But if you look at gold, at silver, at platinum, at uh, aluminum, nickel, most of those metals now are at the industry's marginal cost of production which means if they go down anymore, we're going to see most of the industry losing money on its production and we'll see mines shutting down. And to me, that's a perfect time to be buying. You know, when prices are at the point where they cannot go much lower without losing supply, you know, that's a low-risk time to buy. Conversely, in the oil and gas side, we're more toward the high end, of the, I think. You know, we've seen a pretty good run in supply. You know, we've had a, the U.S. shale story, especially has been one of the kind of feel-good stories of the investment sector. And so we've both had a lot of production coming on. There's been a lot of capital deployed that's been successful in bringing new supply on. And we've also seen valuations for a lot of the companies that are involved in that reach very high levels by historic standards, you know, trading at two or three times the, the value of their in-ground reserves. So for me, you know, it's a story of caution. You know, I'm being very selective on the oil and gas side, but on the mining side, um, you know, with, with some exceptions like copper, uh, I'm very enthusiastic. You know, these are some of the best valuations I've seen in my career. So let's talk a bit on the uh, junior resource advisor side. Um, what is the advantage of buying some of these smaller, more leveraged uh, companies compared to bigger ones that have been around a long time that have proven reserves? Well, in, mineral, in the mineral industry in general, you have the opportunity for wealth creation on a phenomenal scale. And, and the earlier you are in that cycle, the larger the multiples are. And I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, when you start with a minerals project, you know, the way it has to start is that you need a geologist to go off into the bush somewhere and walk around and see if you can find some evidence of you know, a, a place where there might be a deposit that can be mined. That, the sort of costs involved with doing that are on the order of tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Depends where you are. Um, you, you either drive or you need a helicopter to get the person there. You need a few things like a compass, uh, maps, that sort of thing. But it's a very low-cost endeavor. When you go out and you can acquire and find a prospect like that that has a real chance of becoming a major deposit, the valuation that you can get in the market on that sort of thing, the valuation that you can get if you sell that project to a major company is in the millions. So when you're talking about going from 10000 100000 to several million dollars, that's a pretty good return on investment. And that's the reason that I like that, that segment, that early stage segment of the industry particularly, is the, uh, there aren't a lot of people who can do it well, and so the people that do get very richly rewarded for it. So why don't you give us an example or two of, let's start with the gold area, for example, uh, where gold is down, you think it's going to be going back up, where some uh, low-cost gold miners uh, that you, you would like, uh, that you, you think have a big future. I mean, Kinross Gold is by far the best buy in the gold space today, the, you know, uh, sort of by virtue of what they've done wrong rather than what they've done right. Uh, they've had a lot of news about and bad news about um, having to cut their dividend, they had a large write-down on an asset that they acquired in Africa. 
So they've had a number of strikes against them, and that's caused their share price to dip to a very low level. At the same time, the company is making very strong cash flow. You know, they've still got money in. They're one of the lowest cost producers in the business. So you're able today to buy a phenomenal gold production business um, for a very low price because of a few things which, to me, are, are non-material to the operations going forward. So Ken Russ is one of your favorites. Um, another one you have is called OZ Minerals. Is that right? That's, uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah, they're, they're uh, an Australian producer. And uh, that's a copper gold producer. So that, that one I don't own as much of, again, because I'm a little more cautious on the, the copper side. Um, but on the gold side, you know, Oz is very, a very strong producer. Um, they've had a, they have an asset in Australia that's been producing for several years, provides good solid cash flow. And they're an example of a company that's taking some of that cash flow and going out into earlier stage exploration, which you know, done properly gives you that chance for a big, uh, big multiple, a big increase in valuation if they make a discovery on one of their projects. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Um, my guest this hour is Dave Forrest, uh, who is the um, editor of Junior Resource Advisor. Uh, and we'll be back after this. Always talk in business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Business owners, do you run your business or does your business run you? Put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to Success Unchained with hosts Anthony and Julie McGloin. At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Think of the world... 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is David Forrest. He's the chief market strategist for Scarcity and Real Wealth and also the newsletter Junior Resource Advisor. Welcome back to the show, David. Yeah, thank you. So let's talk about some other uh, gold mining shares. And, and you were saying that uh, your, your case for these is, is more on the kind of cost side as opposed to uh, the price of gold soaring. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, one of the most often cited uh, reasons for investing in gold stocks is the belief that gold prices are going to go a lot higher. And, you know, a lot of that is tied to thoughts about inflation, thoughts about money supply. To me, I'm not as big of a believer in that because I, what I see happening is that although we've created this phenomenal amount of money in the U.S., much of that has ended up inside the banking system and isn't really out on the street, so to speak, where it would be driving up prices for things like gold. What I do see happening is that even if the gold price stays roughly where it is, and I, you know, I don't see it going a whole lot lower in the medium to long term, if it stays here, you know, now we're seeing a lot of the enthusiasm coming out of the gold sector. So we're seeing projects being put on hold, a lot less activity. And that's actually good for the companies that are still operating because it relieves a lot of the cost pressure. You know, companies are now able to hire labor cheaper, to source supplies cheaper. So what I see happening is that costs will come down and we'll actually get an improvement in margins exactly the same as you would if costs were rising, just the other way around. And that will be good for the bottom line of, of all the producers who remain. And it affects uh, the smaller companies in a bigger way than the bigger companies. Is that what you're saying? Th- that's right. I mean, if you're a small producer who's got a low-cost mine, you, know, you need to have a low-cost mine or lower-cost mine to be able to survive in this environment. The multiples that you're going to accrue are, are going to be particularly, uh, particularly big relative to your valuation. Now, there's one company you particularly like called Energy 21. Tell us about that one. And so Energy 21 is on the oil side, and there, you know, like I was saying earlier, I'm, I've been fairly selective on the oil side. You know, when you look at valuations for a lot of the shell gas plays, a lot of the emerging shale oil plays, they're very high. I mean, people have been really excited about this, and, and rightly so. It's been a phenomenal story. But, you know, when you're paying two or three times the reserves value of a company, I mean, that's a fairly unattractive valuation. What Energy 21 is, they're, they're operating in a different area. They're operating in the shelf, which is the shallow water uh, offshore environment. And that's an area that's sort of not exciting. It's, it's an area that's kind of been left for dead, if you will. They you know, used to have a lot of activity. Lately, things have been trailing off, and it's sort of seen as a place that's had its time and is now on the decline. What Energy 21 has done is they've gone in, they've acquired leases at very reasonable prices because of, you know, they're not competing with a lot of people, and they're applying a lot of the technology that's been developed in the unconventional plays on shore. They're applying directional drilling, these sorts of things, to increase the oil recoveries in these old pools. So they've acquired some of these pools that have massive amounts of oil in place, and they're upping the recovery. So they're recovering oil that people never thought would come out of the ground. And they've been very, very steadily growing their reserves, um, very good return on investment. And each dollar that they spend in the ground drilling generates uh, $1.50, $1.75 in reserves value. And you know, to me, those kind of metrics are very attractive. And yet, because the play is not one that gets a lot of attention, they're still trading below the value of their reserves, so they're still undervalued. 
And that's a phenomenal situation as far as I'm concerned. What is your outlook for oil prices? We've had a huge discoveries in the United States. We might become a net exporter relatively soon. Um, so there's more supply coming on. What, and oil is roughly $100 a barrel or so. What, what is your outlook for oil prices? Yeah, I mean, oil is such a big market that it's, it's difficult, especially in the short term, to predict. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious. I, you, know, we, you know, you sort of look at, you never know if you're at the bottom or the top, so you just sort of try to tell if you're nearer to the bottom or nearer to the top. And I think looking at where prices are, we're probably nearer the top than the bottom or the, the top of the trading range. So I wouldn't be in, in any companies that are dependent on $100 oil. You know, I'm looking at names that if oil drops to 80, if it drops to 70, we're still doing well. So you have to be, you have to be pretty selective. But, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's an environment where you want to be cautious. So let's talk uh, about some of your picks in the scarcity and real wealth now. So these are bigger cap companies, uh, some of which in the, in the mining sector have been having trouble because they opened a lot of mines, they took on a lot of debt. Uh, the prices of metals went down. They're, they're losing money. They may be closing their mines. What, what are some companies that, that don't fall into that category? Yeah, producers, I mean, we're basically looking at the biggest names in the sector, and, and that's one of the real attractivenesses of this time in the cycle is you're able to buy some of the biggest, some of the most well-known names at very reasonable prices. So companies like Alcoa, which is one of the biggest aluminum producers in the world, probably the most innovative amongst all of the global aluminum producers, all kinds of specialty markets, and that really insulates their cash flow. So even though we've seen aluminum prices come way down, they're still making money, they're still making a profit, they're still able to cover all of their expenses, and in fact, grow the business. You know, we're seeing a, they're starting a number of very innovative new ventures, uh, one in the Middle East, that's going to be one of the lowest cost aluminum production centers in the world. And a company like that, you can have, uh, you can buy at, you know, depending on how you measure it, but around 10 times the actual cash that's being generated by the business, which is a pretty good valuation historically. Uh, other firms like Newmont, you know, especially on the gold side, we're seeing um, firms that are trading at very low values relative to the cash they make. I mean, Newmont, uh, strong cash position, very manageable debt position, uh, several mines globally, especially one in Peru that's, uh, and in Nevada that are very, very low-cost centers that sort of anchor the, the company. So those are the kind of assets that will get these companies through the hard times. You know, you've still got cash flow coming in. And a lot of people have just given up on the sector. So you can buy them at, at valuations that are, you know, I mean, companies, gold companies a few years back used to trade at 40 times PEs, and now you can get them below 10. You know, if they're still making money, that's a good proposition. What would change investor sentiment to make these things start moving again? It'll be interesting to see. It will probably either take a big move up in the gold in the gold price, um, which is possible. But like I said, you know, it's not not something I'm I'm looking for particularly. the The thing I see more likely is that you know we have a drop in costs, and so we start to get you know I've sort of used the term stealth profits, where um, costs come down and these companies start making more and more money. And that's the kind of phenomenon. It won't be headline news. It's not as flashy as gold jumping to $2,000. But, you know, over uh, the course of several quarters, as these guys start to make more cash, that will get noticed. And I think you'll get a tipping point where people suddenly realize that, you know, hey, these guys are making a lot of money. And then you'll get a resurgence of interest in the sector. Now, some sectors, particularly South Africans, their mining costs have gone up a lot. They've had strikes and all kinds of labor troubles. So in general, are you not in favor of the South African mining companies? 
Yeah, I, I'm, I've been, you know, I own one company, Sassel, that's partly a coal miner in South Africa, but has a, a very diversified business and does a lot of uh, sin fuel is, is their main business. So I don't have any pure mining investments in the country. And, and you're right, I mean, it's um, costs in Africa are generally higher to begin with. And in South Africa, particularly, electricity costs are very high. Labor costs have been very high. I mean, you're, you're you know, you're paying people to go in some cases, kilometers below the ground into very small holes that are very hot. And so rightfully, those people want money to go down and do that. And uh, that's reasonable, except that the companies that, you know, are, that have to pay these people aren't making the profits that they need to raise wages. So we're in a, a real impasse. You know, so we're starting to see a lot of labor unrest. And I, I think it's going to be a tough situation. You know? So in general, yes, it would be, would be pretty cautious about miners there. So you're pretty much sticking to North American mining companies at this point, or are there some elsewhere? You have an Australian one. Are there other places around the world you see value? Yeah, Australia. I've actually been lately looking at, um, at miners in places like Brazil. I've looked at one in Turkey recently, Alistair Gold. And part of the thesis for that is another thing we've seen this year is uh, several of the world's big currencies have fallen significantly at the U.S. dollar. The, the Brazilian real, for example, is down about 30% this year against the dollar. And it's interesting because if you're a gold producer in that country, and I, I have one company called Luna Gold that I follow that, that is, if you're producing there, you sell gold on the international market. So you sell your product in U.S. dollars on the international market. And yet, operating in Brazil, you pay your local costs in Brazilian real. So as the real depreciates against the U.S. dollar, your margins actually improve, even if the gold price stays exactly the same. So these guys are again making stealth profits, you know, money that you wouldn't really see it, you wouldn't see it coming. Um, but we're seeing it now that as some of these companies that are producing in places like this are starting to report, they're having these earnings surprises, where and a lot of it is simply due to, to currency exchange rates. So I think that's going to be a significant factor for the next couple quarters for some of these uh, some of these operators in countries like that. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been uh, David Forrest. He's the chief market strategist at Scarcity and Real Wealth, and also junior resource advisor. Uh, you can find out more about his newsletters at StreetAuthority.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, David. Thanks, Jordan. And we'll be back after this with another guest. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. 
To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Nick Hodge. He's the president of the Early Advantage newsletter. Uh, He's also written a book called Energy Investing for Dummies. uh, And he's also the president of the Outsider Club. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with your background a little bit and how you got to where you are now, and just tell us a little bit. Let's start with the Outsider Club. Um, Well, the Outsider Club is a free daily newsletter that focuses on taking your investments and personal finance into your own hands, really managing everything from soup to nuts, whether that's eliminating debt or reducing household costs all the way to managing your own investments and picking your own stocks and funds without, you know, um, an expensive money manager or broker. Okay, and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the newsletter, the Early Advantage newsletter. So Early Advantage newsletter is a paid product, sort of a back-end to the Outsider Club where I give specific investment recommendations on a weekly basis. It's about you know 2,000 words long, and I, we have a model portfolio, and I cover the companies extensively, and you report on the news and make recommendations as I see fit. Um, but really, the, the focus of the newsletter, as the name indicates, is the early advantage. So I'm looking for either technology disruptors or a resource company that's just now coming onto an asset and really getting in before um, a lot of other investors know what's going on by doing, you know, boots on the ground research and, and staying in contact with a lot of a lot of companies. And just tell us a little bit about your background and how you're qualified to be doing both these uh, ventures. Well, I've been in the financial publishing business for almost a decade. Um, I started with Energy and Capital and Wealth Daily, writing daily columns, and then I wrote my first book um, about five years ago. That was called um, Energy, or excuse me, Investing in Renewable Energy: Making Money on Green Ship Stocks. So I've really been following energy for nearly a decade, um, all encompassing um, all forms: renewables, um, oil and gas, nuclear, and coal. So, and I've written about it almost daily for a decade. So that's my qualification. Uh, let's kind of take a, a, a broader view of the energy markets right now. We have oil at roughly $100 a barrel. We've been finding a lot of oil in the U.S. Um, it seems like things have calmed down a little bit in the Middle East as far as Iran-Israel war, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your outlook for oil prices and oil discovery and in investing in the oil market? Is that something you're, you're excited about right now? Right. Um, as you say, we found a lot of oil and gas here in the United States. My reservation with that is the cost of production. Um, I've read some reports lately coming out of the Bakken Fields and the Eagle Ford Shales. These are 
these are shale fields. Um, let's say the marginal cost of production is $104 a barrel. So um, with oil prices where they are today, the guys fracking in those formations aren't making any money. Um, so my reservation with, with that is that it's so expensive. Um, of course, there are opportunities to invest in this glut of natural gas and oil that we have, but I view it mostly as an opportunity to invest in companies who use that natural gas as a as a feedstock, as a variable cost. Um, so we're looking at things, you know, like fertilizer companies for which natural gas is a huge input cost. And I'm also looking at, you know, picks and shovels plays or tangential plays, um, companies that build infrastructure for, for drilling and moving this natural gas. Um, you know, companies like Chicago Bridge and Iron who build pipelines and install platforms and, and things like that and who aren't necessarily dependent on the price of natural gas to turn their profit. And let's talk about the fertilizer. You just mentioned that. Uh, what would be some companies that would benefit by the lower price of natural gas? Um, well, you have, you know, the big companies like CF Industries. Um, I mean, that's my favorite. That's my favorite fertilizer play. There's also companies like Agrium um, and, and Potash Corp. These are all companies for which um, natural gas is a, is, a, is a major input cost. And they've all benefited handsomely because of the, the low cost of natural gas and the, and the, and the, and the outlook for continued low prices, low prices of natural gas. So the way you would play the shale uh, boom is with the pick and shovels and so on, as opposed to uh, the drillers in those particular areas or, or the, even the pipeline companies uh, leading into those uh, shale formations? That's exactly right. Uh-huh. Anything else in the, in the pick and shovel category that are uh, kind of feeding off the shale discoveries? Um. Yeah, I mean, you can do a little bit of pipeline companies. I mean, a- anything that, you know, that provides the equipment but aren't necessarily doing the drilling. So um, big companies like Transocean, for example, ticker RIG, RIG has been beaten down uh, recently. I think you make smart smart investments in companies like that who are, who are currently cheap but who are going to be providing major services for the energy boom going forward. Now, you cover other areas in, in energy. In fact, you're, you've come out with a book as well called Energy Investing for Dummies. Mm-hmm. Let's go into some of the other areas of energy. For example, nuclear. Now, in, in general, one thinks of nuclear being in the dumps right now, that uh, Japan has stopped breaking down all of its nuclear plants, and Germany stopping using nuclear, and uh, you'd think that uranium would be in low demand, and we're not building any nuclear plants in the U.S. What, what is your outlook for nuclear and uranium? Well, for those reasons, I think that's why it's an incredibly smart contrarian play. Um, it's actually one of my favorite spaces in the energy market right now because it is so unloved. And over the next few minutes, I can lay out some reasons why. Um, first Good. of all, Germany has said they're going to stop using nuclear, but that won't, in fact, take place until at least 2020 or 2021. So they're still running their nuclear plants right now. Uh, yes, we did have the Fukushima disaster, um, but Japan has made no serious move to move away from nuclear. And in fact, Prime Minister Abe said last week that those who want to turn away from nuclear are irresponsible. Um, well, why are they irresponsible? They're irresponsible because nuclear energy provides 15 to 30 percent of world electricity, and there's currently nothing to replace it. You can't build natural gas plants that fast. You can't build coal plants that fast. And certainly wind and solar aren't mature enough to pick up the slack. So for that reason, we have to stay with nuclear. And that's also why I like buying um, particularly uranium stocks right now because of the, the, the depressed price of uranium down around $34, $35. So uh, what would be some of your plays that you like in uranium? Well, the company I'm following the most closely right now is a company called Fission Uranium. Um, This is a company that was called Fission Energy, but it sold um, a major deposit to Denison earlier this year, um, Denison Mines, for about $70 million. And they got to keep the remainder of their assets. 
um, under the company Fission Uranium. Well, what they've discovered now is a, is a discovery called Patterson Lake South. It's up in the Athabasca region, and it's probably one of the best uranium discoveries of the past decade. They've hit some holes that have over 25% uranium um, grade, and to put that in perspective, some of the largest mines in the world, uranium mines, like in Australia and Africa, only have less than 1% uranium. So it's truly a world-class um, discovery. Um, Every hole they've drilled, and there have been almost 100 holes drilled, has struck uranium. They haven't missed yet. And um, my ultimate conclusion is that the deposit is going to be sold to a major, someone like Cameco or Arriva, for around um, $2 a share. So the company is trading at a at dollar a share right now, and I, I, I think that's one of the best uranium buys you can make. What is the, the timeline of uranium prices going up? Because right now it's still depressed. you think it's going to start moving up relatively soon, or it's going to be a long time before it goes back up? Um, well, there are a couple short-term factors and a couple long-term fa- uh, factors that will that will force uranium prices to go up. Um, one of those is the end of the megatons to megawatts agreement with the Russians. So when the Soviet Union collapsed in 1993, we signed an agreement with them to use their nuclear weapons, their nuclear missiles, to um, downgrade the uranium in those and use it for... Um, nuclear plants here in the U.S. Well, it was a 20-year agreement. We've decommissioned 20,000 nuclear missiles and got, you know, several thousand pounds of uranium. But that agreement comes to an end this year, in fact, in the next month or two. So it doesn't look like that contract is going to be renewed. And what that means for the United States is about half of our uranium that we that we use every year has been coming from that agreement. So we're going to have to look for another place to get it. Um, and basically, that's going to have to be mines. Well, at the price of, of the price of uranium at thirty-four dollars, the mines aren't making money. So, if the U.S. needs half of its uranium to come from mines, the prices are going to have to rise, in my opinion, for the for the miners to be able to bring that uranium to market. In the long term, you simply have a, a massive um, energy demand growth scenario via India and China, and even the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates are both um, have major nuclear plans and. Um, Global energy demand, electricity demand, is expected to grow by one third um, by 2030. So it's just a massive growth scenario as one and a half billion who don't have ele- one and a half billion people who don't have electricity in developing nations come to want, you know, TVs and refrigerators and the the creature comforts of modern life. It's kind of ironic that Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates are going to be going nuclear. <laughs> Everything was built on oil in their case, I suppose. Well, here's the reason why, and it's um, you know it shows how all things energy are related, is because they've been burning so much of their oil to pro- to produce electricity. Um, not only is that inefficient, it's dirty and it's expensive, and every barrel of oil they burn to produce produce electricity is one less barrel of oil they can sell to the rest of the countries in the world. So they want to be able to produce their own electricity without burning their own oil so they can continue to sell it at a premium. Mm-hmm. And another one would be coal, which again has been falling and people are very much down on coal. Do you have any uh, views on where coal is going and how to invest in it? Um, coal, for the same reason as nuclear, I think is a good contrarian play. So coal follows a very cyclical business pattern, boom and bust. Uh, we're clearly in a bust right now, but for the same reasons as, nu- as nuclear, um, I don't think coal is dead. Um, it might be dead in the United States, but um, China and India certainly are not turning away from coal energy. So I think they're going to continue to import from Australia, and I think in the next 10 years you'll start to see um, U.S. coal companies exporting to 
China as well. Um, one of the companies I follow in the space is Arch Coal. Just this year, that's ACI on the New York Stock Exchange. Just this year, they started opening offices in China, and I think that you know over the next decade, we'll see we'll see coal start to rebound as as well. So you think the coal stocks are about as cheap as they're going to get? Um, yeah, so I bought Arch Coal at around four dollars, five dollars. It is it has gone down a little bit below that to three dollars, but I think that, that that we're bottoming out. That we're bottoming out now. Do you deal in the alternative energy space and things like solar and biofuels and geothermal? Are there some investments in that area you would like? Um, yeah, so when I first started writing about energy, alternative energy was my assigned beat. Um, that was 2000 and 2006, 2007, when, you know, um, anything with solar in the name was going up 500, 1,000%. So I, I really cut my teeth on that space. My first book was about renewable energy. And, of course, the, the global recession took the, the wind out of that sale, the, the sales of that industry, no pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. It also crushed the solar industry and had um, silicon prices coming down a lot. We saw, you know, bankruptcies in Solyndra and things like that. But I think now we're starting to, to turn the corner. The costs are coming down dramatically. Solar is competitive in some states and countries without subsidy. Um, but when it comes to, to solar production, you know, the Chinese have been flooding the market. So it's tough to really evaluate um, a solar panel producer. One of the ways I like to play solar is through installers. Um, and one of, the, one of the ones that has been going up a lot lately is Solar City. Um, the ticker is SCTY on that. So they're, they're a major installer. And what they've done is they've come up with a unique business model that allows homeowners to lease the panels from them instead of having to buy them. And they've had great success with that. Um, Do you like Solar City? I like Solar City. I do. Oh, uh-huh. very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this half hour is Nick Hodge. Uh, he's the president of Early Advantage, the Early Advantage newsletter, um, and he's also done a book called Energy Investing for Dummies. We'll be back after this. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Think of the world... 50 years ago, 
Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Nick Hodge. Uh, he's the president of the Outsider Club uh, and also the investment director at the Early Advantage Newsletter and also the author of a new book called Energy Investing for Dummies. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Thanks. Uh, give people a uh, website where they can find out more about uh, the newsletters. You can go to www.outsiderclub.com. Uh, you can read about me. You can read about um, the website, the newsletter, and also the paid products that I offer for uh, retail investors. Very good. All right. Now, you were saying there are some disruptive technologies, particularly in the solar space, and some ways to play that. What would be some favorites, and what are those disruptive technologies? Well, one of the problems with solar is that it's very expensive without subsidies and the efficiencies are still very low. So it doesn't produce a lot of electricity in the morning or late evening or when it's cloudy. Um, one of the companies I've come across in the past two years and have actually gone to visit and have grown quite close to is called NatCore Technology. Um, the ticker is NXT in Canada or here on the uh, over-the-counter exchange, NTCXF. So what they've done is they've licensed the technology from Rice University. It gets a little bit scientific. It's called liquid phase deposition. But basically what that means is they can grow stuff on stuff. Now, that doesn't sound like um, a huge deal, but the way solar panels are currently made is um, you have to put an anti-reflective coating on them. And so that takes multi-million dollar furnaces and high temperatures and harsh chemicals. Um, and it's very expensive. And what, what NatCore has done with this technology is they can they can grow an anti-reflective coating on the solar cell um, at room temperature, not using harsh chemicals and without any furnaces. Um, so that's one of the main reasons I like the company. And it can eventually the, their plan is to double the efficiency of solar cells while reducing the cost. But they're not just a one-trick pony, and they're not a solar company. So that's why I like them. Right earlier, we talked about how it's difficult to evaluate solar companies because of you know. Chinese manipulation and things like that. Um, NatCore is not a solar company. They're a technology company. So their technology, any solar company can use it, and their plan is to license it to, you know, the first solars and the sun techs and the sun powers of the world. Um, but that's just one way they can, they can change solar. So they can also use this liquid phase deposition to grow three layers of solar cells on top of one another. So instead of harnessing just one spectrum of light, they can harness the low end and the high end spectrums of light. So they, so they can greatly in, increase the amount of power output from a solar cell um, in the morning when the sun is rising, when it's setting, and also when it's cloudy. 
Um, and the, the technology is, is really just amazing. I went and saw it. They've leased a, they've leased an old Kodak, uh, production facility in Rochester, New York, and they're using some of the existing, um, facilities there, like roll-to-roll film, uh, equipment and things like that. So they can also use this liquid phase deposition to grow flexible solar cells that reduce installation costs. And um, and if you want to talk about disruptive, this doesn't necessarily have to do with energy, but they've also um, grown an artificial retina to allow people who only see in black and white to see color again. Um, so, wow. I mean, multiple, multiple levels of disruptive technology um, from one company. Um, they're, they're also doing things with fiber optics and lighting. So I think it's well worthwhile checking out. Um, uh, you know, when I started following it, it was a 50 cent stock. I've seen it run to um, almost a dollar fifty, and they're they're still really in the R and D phase. So right now, I've just talked to the vice president um, last week. Actually, they're working with companies right now to optimize how to integrate their systems into their production facilities. And so I, I expect contracts, if not by the by the end of this year, then in the first quarter next year. And then I think that stock will really start to move. Interesting. All right, another area that you like is uh, cars running on natural gas. What is, what is the trend there, and how would you play that? Well, sure. So, again, we talked earlier about how it's tough to make money drilling natural gas when it's so cheap, but um, companies that have it as an input cost can benefit. So, um, natural gas as a vehicle fuel is really interesting because it comes out on a on – a, Per gallon of gasoline equivalent to about a dollar fifty or two dollars a gallon, and of course everybody listening knows that gas is nowhere near a dollar fifty or two dollars a gallon. So that's almost half off. Um, and, w- and one of the best ways to use it is in big rig trucks that have you know drive tens or hundreds of thousands of miles a year. Um, in the port of Long Beach, California, they've already mandated that trucks run on natural gas, and a lot of um, fleets are, trans- are transitioning to natural gas um, fleets. So any company that has a central docking station where a bunch of vehicles come back to at night, so we're talking about city bus fleets and parcel fleets like UPS and FedEx. Um, one of the companies making the engines is called Westport Innovations, WPRT. Um, they have a, a, a JV agreement with... Um, with Cummins, and they're making big rig diesel engines that run on natural gas. Um, it's about a $27, $28 stock. Um, that's nowhere near the highs, and I think buying it down here will definitely be profitable in the long run as more and more fleets start to convert. Um, there's also another play backed by um, oil billionaire T. Boone Pickens called Clean Energy Fuels. Um, that's C-L-N-E, and what they're doing is they're building a natural gas highway. Their plan is to build, um, you know, a couple hundred natural gas fueling stations as this as this practice starts to catch on. And um, you may have heard of this. It's really part of the Pickens plan where he wants to, you know, transition America away from oil and toward natural gas. Yeah. Um, obviously to make money for himself, but, you know, also to reduce emissions and to use up some of this um, um, major supply of natural gas that we're finding. Interesting. Uh, and then another area you like is silver. Uh, what do you think is going to be happening to silver prices, and how would you uh, play any potential rise in silver prices? Well, it's hard not to like silver, right? I mean, and gold at this point. We're printing $85 billion a month um, from, the, from the Fed, and of course, whenever there's, there's more of something like dollars, then it's worth less. Well, ultimately, when dollars are worth less, gold and silver tend to rise. So, yeah, I've really been bitten by the silver bug over the past year as the quantitative easing programs have been expanded and not ended, and they don't look like they're going to end anytime soon. So, um, I first and foremost advocate holding physical silver. Um, I've taken several trips to my local dealer recently and, you know, purchased 
pieces of uh, American Eagles. And we can see that other investors are doing the same because the mint, the U.S. Mint has had record sales this year. They've even suspended sales a few times. And I just don't think that silver prices below $25 are sustainable. So uh, other than buying physical uh, coins, are there some ETFs or uh, silver mining companies uh, that you would buy silver? Um, yeah, I've taken a look at a few silver mining companies, but I mostly advise my readers to try to invest in the price of silver. So, I mean, this is sort of um, stuff that, you know, um, novice investors might not know, but investors that have been around the market for any length of time certainly know um, SLV, the, the ETF, which tracks silver prices. And if you want to get aggressive, I've even recommended to readers of mine buying a leveraged silver ETF, something like USLV. Um, which leverages the price of silver by by three times. Um, so if you're if you're in that thought category that you know we're messing with the U.S. dollar, we're killing its value, and ultimately metals prices have to rise as a safe haven, then I think that's that's as no brainer as it gets. Okay, uh, it's quite a, quite dramatic things you see coming forward here. So we have about a minute left. Kind of want you to sum up uh, the the case that you want to make now for investing in energy and mining things you've talked about, why is that the best place to be investing when it seems like the general market industrial stocks are doing well these days? Well, nothing in the world runs without energy. I couldn't be talking to you without energy. McDonald's can't make burgers without energy, and Coke can't make soda without energy. So really, it runs the world. It's one of the largest industries in the world. It generates the most revenue. And if you looked at the 10 biggest companies in the world, you'd find seven energy companies on there. Um, demand is only rising, as I alluded to earlier, China and India, um, you know, the BRIC nations, uh, Russia and Brazil. Uh, demand is only growing, slated to grow 33% by 2030, um, with no major solution in sight. So it's not going to be one energy technology that, that benefits. It's going to be all of them. Uh, production from all of them has to rise. Demand for all of them is going to rise. And I think that's sort of the best, um, that's the best case scenario for any investor. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest has been Nick Hodge. He's the president and founder of the Outsider Club, uh, also the investment director of the Early Advantage Newsletter. He's got a book called Energy Investing for Dummies. You can find out more about him at OutsiderClub.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Nick. Jordan, thank you very much. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.MoneyAnswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 